Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, today we're in a brand new series, and um, before I get kicking, can everyone hear me? All right, you're all out in the shade and all that. I can see Tanya and Paul, fantastic. Um, I can see, oh, Jacinta and Dave, your wedding's coming up in a couple weeks, isn't it? Very, very exciting. <laughs> um, again, if you're in the sun, make sure you, you move around. We're in a brand new series where we're going to actually kick on from um, that series that we did last year, which was Sermon on the Mount. And what I'm going to try to do today is to try and bring an introduction. Um, so I'm going to try and set the broad brush strokes, per se, um, because the challenge is we finished our last series about four months ago, three, four months ago, and um, I'm not sure if everyone remembers all that great teaching and content. Does everyone remember all that great stuff? Yep. yep. Say the right thing, make me feel nice. But today's message is called Down from the Mountain. The sermon notes are in your um, church app, so you feel free to open that up, and you're going to be able to journey with the scriptures and all that. But Down from the Mountain is today's sermon title. This has been a big week, not just in the life of Perth, but this has been a big week in, on the world stage, hasn't it? I feel a little bit numb, to be honest. Um, with everything that's kind of happened. I think it's kind of surreal that there are um, things that are happening in other parts of the world. And, you know, well, just because um, what was happening in Russia and Ukraine, that is huge. That actually changed the narrative of um, the geopolitical narrative that has been going on for at least since 1991. It's completely changed that, and that's rattled, um, that's rattled everyone. But even in other parts of the world, there are atrocities that are happening. And sometimes it seems a bit surreal that there are so many um, things like that happening in other parts of the world. But look at us. We're out. There's fresh breeze. There's um, birds that you can almost hear sometimes. There's going to be Harleys that come down because we are living in Camillo. But we're living in freedom. We get to worship in freedom. And we are so blessed because of it. I don't want to take that for granted. But this week has kind of been one of those moments that will be marked in history. After two years of journeying through a global pandemic, um, there has been um, a decision that has been made that has really rattled the entire world because since the um, dismantling of the Soviet Union around 1990, 1991, we really thought that we as human beings that we were beyond this. But to actually see this week that there's a return to this imperial colonial kind of mindset and imagination, that really does rattle us and that rattles us because we are once again shown what the human heart can be and sometimes is. And that could be really, really confronting. And this has kind of happened in a context, in a moment where there's already so much division and so much hostility. Um, the ideas that we have being brought up with, or personal freedoms and, and personal liberties. They've been really tested over the last couple of years, especially living in a beautiful world of Australia, like what we live in, in a liberal democracy. We've had to do things and um, wear masks and social distance and do things that we never thought we'd have to do. And that's been a real challenge to our notion of what it means to be free people. And even beneath this, there's been other epidemics which are kind of really felt but largely unseen. Things like loneliness, um, this idea of becoming more and more disembodied. Um, 
And in light of all this, the question has to be posed, and a lot of people have a lot of different answers, but the question does have to be posed as to what does the world need right now? What does the world need right now? And of course, we as Christians and those who know the gospel, we'd be really, really quick to actually reply really, really quick that what the world needs right now is a new, renewed, reordered, restored humanity. We'd say that, wouldn't we? That's what the world needs right now. I was listening to a um, podcast, um, this week's podcast, Preston Sprinkles, Theology on the Raw. He was interviewing N.T. Wright. And um, the interview happened, um, I think it was last week, where um, the evasion hadn't happened as yet. And, and um, Preston Sprinkle was actually saying to Tom Wright, like, what do you think like, we need right now? And, and Tom Wright was actually saying, what we need right now is actually to actually forego the Greek kind of um, understanding of the gospel where you kind of get saved in order to go to heaven but actually embrace the true gospel that is about a renewed, reordered, restored humanity right here, right now because what the world needs to see right now is a new kind of humanity living, breathing, dwelling right now. And that is exactly what the world needs right now. It needs it in the political world and in other secular worlds. The church really does need to actually embody that. The problem is what the world needs is not necessarily what the world gets. Isn't that true? Seriously, if the, wor- if the world needs the church to really be the church, well, I wonder if the world's actually getting that because there's more division in the church than what there is in a lot of other parts. And that's kind of where we're happening right now. And the question is like, why is that the case? And we um, started last year in our Sermon on the Mount series with a really blunt and very, very offensive answer to that question. Why is it that what the world needs is not what the world gets? And the answer, as blunt as it is, as offensive as it is to myself as well as everyone here, is that Christians simply do not take Jesus seriously. We started last year, if you remember, from um, using a quote by um, Sky Jathani from his little devotional book, What If Jesus Was Serious? And a lot of people in our church went and bought that book and actually journeyed through that, and it was a great blessing and really, really eye-opening. But he starts his book when he says um, this very, very um, profound but yet confronting quote. He says this, What if the underlying malady afflicting Christians today isn't that we take Jesus too seriously, but by but that we fail to take him seriously enough. What if much of the culture's judgment of Christians isn't a result of obeying Jesus, but the result of Christians ignoring him? That's how we started it. And the complexity of actually putting forward a comment or an observation or a quote like that is actually twofold for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, for you and I as apprentices of Jesus. The complexity is this. Number one, what exactly are we supposed to take seriously? when we're talking about Jesus, all right? And we spent last year going through that question. The second question posed by that quote is, why should we take Jesus seriously? Why? First one, what what exactly are we supposed to take seriously? And the second one is, why? Well, last year we focused on that very, very first question. What exactly are we supposed to take seriously? What was Jesus on about? And um, we looked at his teachings the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the ordering or the politics, the social ordering, which is politics. It is the politics of the citizens who belong to the kingdom of God. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is. 
We began last year by noticing that um, the Sermon on the Mount and the deeds of Jesus, they're actually bracketed by something that we call an inclusio, an inclusio. And this inclusio is actually in your notes. And inclusio is used by biblical authors as a um, means by actually communicating and emphasizing um, something that's really important. They didn't have word processes back in those days. They weren't able to italic. They weren't able to bold. They used things like re repetition. They used things like chiastic structures. They used things like inclusios to let us know what they are trying to say. And in this conclusio, we actually find what Jesus is all about, what his teaching is all about, and what his demonstration is all about. So I've got that in your sermon notes, Matthew 4.23. We're going to read that out. Um, let me read it. And then Matthew 9.35. So Matthew 4.23, which is the first bracket or the first um, part of this inclusio, says this. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Okay. Now pay attention to the second bracket, because when you see a repetition of language, that's going to identify for us. Oh, this is the close of this inclusio, or this is the second bracket. Matthew 9 verse 35 says this. Again, this is like five chapters later. Jesus traveled um, through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues, there we go, and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry is all about one singular Thing. It is about the kingdom of God. He is announcing the kingdom of God and he is demonstrating what this kingdom looks like. So as Jesus is going from village to village, town to town, as he is proclaiming, as he is teaching, as he is announcing, he is saying that the kingdom of God is breaking out. He is saying that the kingdom of God is here right now. And people, wherever he goes, people are being invited right there to actually participate and join and, and actually come along into this kingdom as kingdom citizens. That is what's happening. He's going from this field saying the kingdom of God's here and people are joining. He's going to another place. The kingdom of God's here. You know, that's what's happening. The, the, the thing which is so unsettling is the kind of people who are being invited to join. The kind of people. And last year, as we started from um, Matthew 4, um, 35, we went into Matthew 5, where Jesus starts to articulate the kind of people you can expect to see in his kingdom. And the kind of people that you can expect to see, um, they're, they're, kind of, um, they're kind of different looking. Sorry, my paper's going all over the place. We find them in this portion of scripture that we call the Beatitudes. This is the kind of people. The kind of people in Jesus' kingdom, number one, they're poor in spirit. They're spiritually bankrupt and they know it. They're not disputing it. Is anyone here, you're brave enough to say I'm poor in spirit? Would anyone say you're not poor in spirit? Because here's the deal. If you would be honest enough to say I'm poor in spirit, I am stuffed. I am bankrupt. Welcome. Congratulations. You are blessed. You are part of the kingdom. If on the other hand, you would say, you know what, I'm actually okay. And you might even be sitting here. You might have even sung the worship songs. Well, there's actually a challenge there. So, okay, are you actually part of the kingdom or not? Because it's, it, Jesus is actually saying it's, it's kind of unexpected. It's really unsettling. But straight off the bat, the people in my kingdom, they are poor in spirit and they know it. They don't dispute it. They embrace it. 
Praise God. You know what? It's nice to know that I can actually just be broken, busted, bankrupt before God, and yet I'm loved, accepted, and I am part of this kingdom. In fact, he says, congratulations, you're blessed, welcome, you're part of the kingdom of God. The second thing with these people is that they mourn. They see that sin is ravaging the world right now. You know, this week we can see that sin is actually ravaging the world. We can physically see what happens when sin actually comes and corrupts hearts and actually wants to dehumanize people and actually damage people and even destroy people. And the people of Jesus' kingdom, they don't ignore this. They see this and they mourn. And they say, wow, like, I don't want to be indifferent about that. I want to actually mourn. I want to recognize, I want to acknowledge that there is sin that is ravaging this world. And I do not want to be indifferent to that as well. This is, these people, congratulations, you're part of this kingdom. These people are meek. They have strength. Of course they have strength. But they don't use their strength to overpower other people. They use their strength to build other people up. As Jesus is articulating this, everyone within earshot of his words, they, when they heard, blessed are the meek, their mind would have automatically gone to the temple. Because in the temple, there are people who had strength, they, they had um, reputations, they had positions, and they were actually lording it over other people. And, and Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, they're not part of my kingdom. My kingdom doesn't look like that because people in the kingdom, my kingdom, they're meek. They're meek. Those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness or those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. And again, this is an inclusio that we find that. But in between this, what does it mean to be just people? What does it mean to be the justice of God here on earth? Well, these people, you will see that they're merciful. That these people, they're pure of heart. That these people, that they are peacemakers. If you see these kind of people, you can identify and say, oh man, you're part of the family. You're part of the kingdom. You're a kingdom citizen. But if you look at them, it's kind of like a little bit unlikely, a little bit strange. Like, wow, how incredible this kingdom is. And then there are those who are persecuted because of their public association with Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evils against you. And when this persecution happens, guess what? Jesus, Jesus doesn't go and say, you know what? When the world persecutes you, when people go and persecute you, this is what you should do. Make sure you go straight to Facebook and post about it, all right? Make sure you start becoming this activist pretending to actually care when you really are quite indifferent. Don't go, like, make sure you go and become a keyboard warrior. Jesus doesn't say that. You know what he says? He says, rejoice. When's the last time you rejoiced when someone had a crack at you? David, you're a Christian. You're a this, 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 this. And I just thought, you know what? I just want to thank God. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to rejoice. But that's a response. How does that happen like right now? No, no, no. But Jesus says when persecution comes, when people insult you, when people are having a crack at you, if you are a kingdom citizen, all right, if you are, all right. Now, if you think you're all that, you're not poor in spirit, hate to tell you, you're not part of the kingdom. All right. But if you are honest with yourself and say, I'm poor in spirit and persecution comes, Jesus says, well, how about you just sit back and rejoice? How about that? Because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And from an observer looking at these kind of people, you would kind of tilt your head. Because that description about these kind of kingdom people doesn't look like the, the majority of people out here in the world, does it? 
But you kind of tilt your head and you look at them and you'd be a little bit intrigued and you'd kind of say, who are these people? That, that this is not the way you should respond. This is not the way people react. This is not the norm. Who in the world are these people? We are called the church of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Praise God. We are those who demonstrate a new humanity, a new reordering. This is who we are. That's what the Beatitudes is all about. Jesus is saying, these are the kind of people you can expect to see in my kingdom. And welcome. You're invited. Come on in. The carpet's being rolled out for you. Oh, man, that is so, so good. I've got to fight temptation to actually start teaching all that stuff all over again. What if the underlying malady afflicting Christians today isn't that we take Jesus seriously, but we have failed to take him seriously enough? What if that's the issue? What if Sky Jathani is like bang on? It's like, yeah, you've nailed it right there. But keep on looking. Because these people who are invited or a part of this kingdom, they live differently. Very, very very differently. It's almost like they live in a otherworldly kind of way. And for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts to unpack and, and, and talk about a different ordering of the way we are to live. In other words, a different kind of politics. Because at its level, politics is about a ordering in society. How this world, how the different entities, how different people are going to relate and interact with each other. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about that. And you will notice that as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, he is going straight to the heart. He's talking about character. He's talking about things of anger. He's talking about things of lust. He's saying you can't bend your knee and serve both God and money. But we live in a world where the allegiance of money is tempting all of us to bow our knee. And Jesus is simply saying, you can't serve both God and Mammon. It's impossible. There are rivals in this world. So last year, we spent the year unpacking what Jesus said. And um, all those things are on the... Um, on the podcast and on YouTube channel, I would actually say that even though we took so long to go through it, we still only scratched the surface. So maybe um, as you're going back to study and all that, like dig a little bit deeper because there is so much stuff. But last year was all about what? The next two to three months, we're going to be visiting and revisiting again every single week as to why we should take Jesus seriously. I mean, who does Jesus really think he is, right? What is Matthew telling us about Jesus? Well, the next couple of chapters, Matthew is letting us know why we should be taking Jesus' words very seriously. And as Jesus comes down from the mountain, we're going to be investigating nine stories that display ten mighty deeds, which is Matthew's response to a reoccurring um, um, a repetition of response that comes from the crowd throughout Matthew. And it's actually found in Matthew 7, verse 28. Again, this is in your sermon notes on your app. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. I can't tell you how many times I've read past that. Because living in 2022, I've become very, very accustomed to going into settings, listening to sermons, um, listening to a whole bunch of people and really just hearing their opinions. Isn't that right? We're so used to hearing someone's opinion on things. 
Because we're distanced by over 2,000 years. We're distanced with culture. We're distanced and we're actually living. We're dropped into a, a different world. We don't really um, hear that response from the crowd as something unusual. Because that was really unusual. In fact, Matthew's repeating this a couple of times through his gospel, which is letting us know this is kind of a, an important thing. They were amazed at his teaching. Why were they amazed? Because he taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of the religious law. Well, just for a moment, let's just revisit the last things that Jesus said to just get a bit of a handle as to why the crowd was so amazed. Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. You'll remember this because we this is the last part that we went through last year. Anyone who listens to my, everyone say my. My, that was really, really soft. Can you be loud? My, my. I know you got masks on, but man, the good thing with this breeze out here is that no one's going to fall asleep, eh? <laughs> it does happen in the auditorium. I've seen you and I still love you. <laughs> Anyone who listens to my teaching, that's huge, and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But if anyone hears my teaching, there he goes again, and doesn't obey it, it's foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And again, because we are so distanced with time and because we are so used to actually listening to people's opinions instead of actually trying to drill down and, and kind of investigate what is Scripture actually saying here, we don't realize how scandalous these couple of sentences are for everyone who listened to Jesus at that day. This is the reason why they were amazed. This is the reason why some were perplexed. Rabbis would interpret other rabbis. That's what they did. This was what was normal. No rabbi, no prophet would actually have the audacity or dare to say something like this. Anyone who listens to my teaching is going to be wise. No one would have done that. That's actually saying something really, really blunt. Anyone who listens or hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is a fool. That's huge. Doesn't sound huge to us, but drop us back in like over 2,000 years ago listening to Jesus. That's huge. In fact, it's scandalous. The scandal is in the way that Jesus connects wisdom to his teaching. And he does it on purpose. Wisdom's not an uncommon subject matter, by the way. Um, wisdom was something to be aspired to. Wisdom was something that was sought after. Wisdom was a definite virtue as it is today. Deuteronomy 4 verse um, 1 to 2 actually starts talking about um, the nation of Israel living in wisdom. I'm going to read um, from verse 1. And now Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I'm about to teach you. Obey them so that you may live, so you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord your God of your ancestors has given you. Do not add to or subtract from these commands I'm giving you. Just obey the commands the Lord your God. Um, just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. Drop down to verse 6 and he says this. 
Obey them completely and you will display your wisdom. That's the connection right there. And intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, how wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. As far as everyone on that mountain that day, they all had the same understanding of how you get wisdom. Wisdom comes by observing Torah. Torah came from God through Moses. Okay, That's how you get wisdom, is by adhering to Torah. That's not exactly what Jesus is saying right here. That's what makes it pretty, pretty scandalous. Torah was Yahweh's instruction for his people as to how they are to live in the newfound freedom. The story went like this. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. We know this. God calls Moses to deliver Israel, right? And we have all the mighty deeds, 10 mighty deeds, funnily enough. And then you've got the parting of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. As they come out of Egypt, Moses goes up a mountain, right? And is given instruction from Yahweh. And the instruction is supposed to be, this is how you are to now live in your newfound freedom because you have previously lived in slavery. If you have generations of people living in slavery and all of a sudden they are just thrown into freedom, they have no idea how they're supposed to live. So that is why Torah was given. And obviously, as the story of God goes, this beautiful instruction, this beautiful gift, which is called Torah, it becomes weaponized. You know, you know how God's law gets weaponized? We do the same today. Sin comes and hijacks and weaponizes. And Paul talks about that in, in Galatians and Romans. But it was this beautiful law of instruction. So in the first Exodus, Moses receives Yahweh's instruction for Israel up on the mountain. Fast forward to Jesus. He is up on the mountain. And what do we have? He's up on the mountain. He's giving instruction. But Jesus is not receiving this instruction from Yahweh. Jesus is the one who is giving this instruction as to how we are now to live as, as this new, formed, free community called the kingdom of God or the church. Deuteronomy emphasized, if you obey Torah completely, you will display your wisdom. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it will be wise. That's the scandal. What is Jesus saying about himself? That's the reason why the crowd's response to Jesus is that when he finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed. Of course they're amazed. He just said something so scandalous. Their understanding up until that point, the way that we actually live wise is by adhering to Torah. And then Jesus says something different up on the same mountain, right? Scandalous. They were amazed for he taught with real authority. Yeah, 
quite unlike the teachers of the law. And the question is, like the obvious question of the day would have been this. I would have been asking this question as you would if you had your imagination, if you knew this is how we get wisdom. Wisdom comes from Torah. Torah was given to us directly by Yahweh. And all of a sudden there's this guy on a mountain and he's saying, wait a minute, if you actually listen to my teaching, you're going to be wise. The obvious question is, who in the world does he think he is? That's the question. Who is this guy? And for the next two chapters, Matthew is going to tell us who this guy is. For the next two chapters, we are going to be given a vision of Yahweh as Yahweh comes down from the mountain. That's the point. That's where we're going for the next two to three months. Matthew 8 to 9 provides us with this progressive development of the identity of Jesus. And it answers the question, why would I listen to the voice of Jesus? And Matthew is saying the reason why you would listen to the voice of Jesus is because the voice of Jesus is the voice of Yahweh. That's what he's saying. What if Jesus was serious? What if the underlying malady is that we as Christians don't take Jesus seriously? Well, let's take Jesus seriously. Number one, what are we supposed to take seriously? Sermon on the Mount. Question two, why? Well, we're about to discover why. Because the voice of Jesus is the voice of God, is the voice of Yahweh. You know, there's going to be a lot of material over the last couple of years, if you've been journeying with us, you should have a lot of material if you ever have someone knock on your door with a little badge wanting to tell you about their version or their perverted Jesus. You should have a lot of stuff. And again, we're going to journey through this in the next couple of months. Torah was this beautiful gift of instruction. Letting Israel know how you are to live in your freedom. How you were to fulfill the promise given to Abraham that through the people of God, all of the nations would be blessed. That was the promise. But because Torah was hijacked, it became weaponized. It became, and it was used as a weapon. But that's what it was. Christianity in 2022. How many songs do we sing about freedom? How much preaching do we do on freedom? How many posts on social media do we post about freedom? How many prophets are out running their mouth about freedom? A lot of Christians don't live in freedom for one simple reason, that is we don't take Jesus seriously. And to be honest, myself on behalf of Christian leaders and Christian teachers, we have to kind of wear that a bit because a big reason why a lot of Christians don't live in freedom is that they don't know what they're supposed to be adhering to, you know? If we're taking Jesus seriously, what exactly is that about? Um, on my Instagram account, for some reason, you go to like um, the reels and stuff and you have all these pastors preaching. And I'm like, every now and then you get like something good. But like for the most part, I'm tempted not to actually put a comment and say, what is this? But that's kind of on us, you know, like 
as teachers of the word, as, as pastors, as those who come along, but also us collectively as the family of God, there is kind of this responsibility for all of us to understand the story of God to understand what it means to live as this new community. What does it mean to actually do this, um, if it makes sense? So 2021, we spent digging into the Sermon on the Mount. I would encourage all of us, myself included, to recap, to relearn, to rediscover what Jesus is saying. But in 2022, this is where we're going. We are going to stretch the Christology of New Spring Church by answering very bluntly, emphatically and persuasively every single week the question the question why should we take these teachings of jesus seriously enough and the simple answer which matthew is going to outlay for us over and over again which he's going to show he's going to show us pictures of jesus or pictures of yahweh coming down from the mountain pictures of jesus doing stuff that normal people don't do there's something else he's trying to say Matthew is letting us know that Jesus is Yahweh. He is your God. He's going to let us know that it's Jesus who is the giver and sustainer of life. That you and I, that we are not God. Isn't that good to know? But secretly, are there sometimes you wish you were? Or we act like we do sometimes? But we're not God, or we never will be. He's going to let us know that life and death is presented before us. It always is. It always has been. The wise person chooses life. The foolish person has their choice and they choose death. But ultimately, the choice is for you and the choice is for me. So over the next two to three months, I really encourage you, even as we get a little bit disjointed, um, just because of COVID, please do not miss out on what we are going through together. But over the next two to three months, we are going to get a clearer vision of Yahweh as we study what happens when Yahweh comes down the mountain. That's where we're going. I just wanted to get that in your mind today. Get ready for the journey. Spend your time reading chapters eight and nine and actually asking questions of scripture and I'm praying that this is going to be a great journey for us as a church it's going to stretch our imaginations it's going to mean we're going to have deeper convictions in our Christian faith and also a deeper conviction to participating and being part of this incredible family which is called the Church of Jesus Christ and we are blessed because we are all poor in spirit and we have been graciously and generously invited to partake and join in this beautiful inheritance is that alright let me pray for you and um, Look at that. I'm done early. That must be the shortest time. It's because the wind was taking my pages, you see. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And um, even as we set up this new series, Father, I pray that there's been a spark of curiosity in our hearts. I ask that um, as we go through the next couple of months, that there would just be such a reverence and joy and wonder in our hearts as we look at Jesus with fresh eyes. Father, as we inquire as to his demonstration of the kingdom, as we see um, just strange little passages of, of how people from the east and west are invited to this banquet and, and how that impacts on our life, as we look at the, 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 the demand of discipleship and, and all these beautiful things that we're going to go through. 
As we look at Jesus as he invites those who should be on the outside to come to the inside, may we once again be filled with joy as the people of God. And from that, would we just demonstrate your kingdom in a faithful way, in a, in a way that's compelling, but in a way that's authentic and real in Australia in 2022. I pray your blessing upon every household. I pray your blessing on the season to come. For those who are getting married, Father, I just pray your blessing upon them, upon their household. For those who have questions and concerns, Father, I ask that your peace would fall upon. Father, for those who are grieving, may there be moments of joy and remembrance, knowing that you are with us, that you are close to the brokenhearted. And Father, I ask that you would just reign as King over our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. How about we stand, let's respond to God's Word in worship.